knowledge borrows from comprehension and comprehension from knowledge. The heavens borrow from the earth and the earth from the heavens. Thus it is also with human beings with a single difference. All these others borrow without ending up in court. I, I don't think they were making a joke, although it does kind of end humorously that their borrowing of their human differences doesn't end up in court feels like a, a modern Jewish joke, but I, I think they're being half serious, half, half funny there. Day does not end where night begins. Rather, they merge and learn from one another. Their very essences are too intertwined to separate. But humans sometimes forget that although they exist as individuals, their individual and collective experiences rely on each other for meaning. Global and local discourses are thus interdependent. The, the two realms can and must borrow from one another. Today, our global relationships and meta-discourses, which we often experience by means of social media, are both important, indeed perhaps essential, and yet each can preclude important and holy opportunities that manifest themselves in the other right before our eyes. On the other hand, it is easy to love our neighbor, commanded by the Torah only once, but it is very hard to love a stranger, commanded by the Torah 36 times. We must still work to cultivate our local relationships, but it is the foreign and often distant relationships that expose our true character. The local determines our fate, the distant our destiny. The parochial evokes nostalgic con contact, while the less familiar inspires the dream. The Torah is adamant that we must go beyond the local and familiar and enter relationships of giving and healing beyond our four walls. As Rabbi Jonathan Sachs explains, neither tribalism nor universalism alone works. Tribalism denies rights to the outsider. Universalism grants rights if and only if the outsider converts. Ah, tribalism turns the concept of a chosen people into that of a master race. Universalism turns the truth of a single culture into the measure of all humanity. The results are often tragic and always an affront to human dignity. So let's be clear what Sachs is doing here. He is embracing both, but rejecting both in its extremes. Tribalism rejects outsiders. Universalism rejects the other if they don't convert. And so that universalism can look like two forms. One form is a communism or a Marxism. We are all the same and thus we deny our differences. You convert to sameness or you're out. Or you can look at some, the dominant models of Christianity and Islam, which envision a world in Christianity where the whole world embraces Jesus Christ as the savior of humanity and Islam where the whole humanity embraces Allah and converts to Islam. And thus, universalism means everyone will ultimately accept the one truth. And Sachs says, okay, I see the value in tribalism in our Haredi community, in other communities. I see the value of universalism that says everyone is welcome and everyone will kind of be ultimately one and the same. And yet, those can be very dangerous, and Judaism must balance a commitment to both. A universalism that embraces differences, a tribalism that embraces differences. In tribalism, we retreat to the familiar. And in universalism, we try to bring others into our expanding tribe. An alternative is a merging of the two, to love and cherish our local uniqueness, but also to value and engage with the diverse peoples and ideas that a global approach introduces to us. We should insist that tribalism borrows, as we saw from the Midrash, from universalism and vice versa. As we learn in the book of Job, Sefer Eov, we can experience the closeness of a friend who sits with us in a time of loss, even when the friend's feelings are articulated in words of rebuke and challenge. 
even when the friend gives us advice that we don't want to hear about achieving a closest closeness to God in a lonely and dark world. And in that world, alongside the stretch of a global community, we can find warmth within locality. We must strive to use our attempts to achieve a closeness with God to make the world a smaller, more familiar place. We are bidden to embrace the lonely and the isolated, just as the Torah commands. When I walk in complex or dangerous environments, I remind myself of the presence of the divine and particularly its compassionate and loving elements walking with me. We can gain the necessary courage to tread in new and sometimes dark places if we carry the lights of spiritual intimacy with us. Those lights are not only from God, but from local relationships that we know are cheering for us as we enter into unfamiliar territory and strive to make a difference. We, we can be spiritually prepared to interact with each other on both the global and local levels. That means that while we must know how to engage in an intimate one-on-one -on -one conversation, we must also know how to remember that local one-on-one -on -one when we're a one interacting with a huge range of additional ones who themselves interact with each other and with us as a part of a vastly more complex and diverse discourse. The micro voice is a spiritual voice within our global deliberations. We should never forget the individual when we consider the system. But the additional consideration of the whole and of its many parts should lead to, achieve, to active participation in the work of that whole and the meaning making of its parts. It is a necessary spiritual practice to go from the proverbial balcony to the dance floor. We simultaneously shift from observing and interacting back again. Social media hits us with a flood of information, at least some of which is likely true. Emotion hits us with emotion or a reasonable facsimile thereof and, and, and an encounter of at least a two-dimension kind, while also leaving us empty of, a concrete, of concrete relationships. Personal encounters, on the other hand, form strong bonds, while at the same time leaving us without the perspective to appreciate the bigger reality. The local and the global, once again, inform one another. We are spiritually in both places at once. The individual narrative and global trends are intertwined. The local rootedness of our individual communities sustains us while our interaction with those far away on all sorts of levels drives us forward. Achieving a healthy balance between the near and the far requires both reverence for the vastness of the ecosystem surrounding us and humility flowing from our awareness of its complexity. We must be simultaneously empowered to engage and aware of our limitations. Our community leadership must empower this courage and model this humility. There are individual limits that we must all learn for ourselves, but also collective limits, which our communal leadership must also respect and uphold. There is this one midrash in particular that has inspired how I think of my own local and global spiritual practice. This is from the Midrash, the Yalkut Shmoni. God gathered the dust of the first human from the four corners of the world. Why from the four corners of the earth? So that if one comes from the east to the west and arrives at the end of their life, as if, as, as they near departing from the world, it will not be said to them, this land is not the dust of your body, it's of mine. Go back to where you were created. Rather, every place that a person walks, from there they were created, and from there they will return. This is a great midrash for refugee rights in thinking that nobody truly owns the earth. Everyone is from everywhere. The earth is God's and thus not human owned. Um, but it's also touching on our point that we are all from somewhere, and yet we all belong everywhere, right? We are all, um, as Jews, a part of Israel, and we are all global citizens. We are, as Americans, if you're American or Canadians or whatever other citizenships we have, we are citizens of a land, and yet we transcend, our identity transcends those borders and those identities. 
In the 21st century, perhaps more than ever before, we belong everywhere. Every place that a person walks from there she was created, the Midrash said. We are all made up of the same stuff and share equal dignity. On the other hand, each of us has our own uniqueness. I am Mexican. I am Jewish. Right? I am a woman. I am a lesbian. I am whatever I am that is uniquely me in addition to being um, um, what makes us all equal and the same. I think of my particularism informed by my work and deep local relationships when I venture beyond my local borders, physically or virtually. Too often highly interconnected individuals dismiss the value of local presence. And too often individuals remain too locally rooted and become stagnant in a small sphere of ideas. The above midrash we just read teaches us that there is a cost to all when we dance between both. We are committed beyond one sphere as that is what our age enables and therefore requires of us. As we grow as individuals and train the next generation, we can commit ourselves to love our unique colors while also blending into the earth tone universal terrain. Supporting Israel, helping the Jewish poor, funding Jewish day schools. There's an infinite number of Jewish concerns and needs today, some of which can't be viewed as anything but local, while others bridge the gap between local and more global. How can one justify giving time to even broader universalistic and not just Jewish social justice issues? Rabbi Avraham Yitzchak HaKohen Cook, the first Ashkenazic chief rabbi of pre-state Israel wrote, in Orota Kodesh, there are some righteous individuals who are very great and powerful, who cannot limit themselves to Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish community, alone. And there are always concerns for the good of the entire world. These tzaddikim, the righteous people, cannot be nationalists in the external sense of the term, because they cannot stand any hatred or inequity or limitation of good and mercy. And they are good to all as the attributes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for God is good to all. God's attributes of, of the Holy Blessed One, for God is good to all. God's compassion is over all of God's works. There are some who will mostly give their holy energy to their family and others who will prioritize building the Jewish community and Israel with all of their might. There are, these are wonderful and necessary endeavors. And Rav Cook, as a pluralist, very attuned to the diversity and complexity of our souls, taught that there are others who cannot remain parochial, but need to go out beyond the Jewish community. And that these are, the, are also true righteous individuals. Sadly, I've met too many Jewish social justice leaders who feel marginalized and think of themselves as bad Jews. The opposite is true. Those dedicating themselves to supporting the poor, sick, beaten, and alienated are model Jews. Avraham was chosen precisely because he was, he was committed to tzedakah umishpat, pursuing righteousness and justice. Lurianic Kabbalah teaches that our role in this world is to find hidden sparks, to liberate those hidden sparks from their evil klipot, the evil shells, and to elevate those hidden sparks. These activists who go out to support the most vulnerable are doing justice. Rabbi Soloveitchik wrote, there is nothing so physically and spiritually destructive as diverting one's attention from this world. And by contrast, how courageous is halachic man who does not flee from this world, who does not seek to escape some, to some pure supernal, supernal realm. Rabbi, Rabbi Elkanan Wasserman, one of the most prominent pre-war Lithuanian Lithuanian rabbis similarly wrote, for among 200 is to be found 100. A common rabbinic idiom, meaning that in all meets votes between people and their fellow, there is also a component between people and God. Why then should they be lessened by being between humans and their, and their fellow? And it, it is for this reason that the rush saw meets vote between humans and their fellow as being more weighty for they contain both elements. In case that's not totally clear, what he's saying is if you do a ritual between a person and God, that is only one level of good, person and God. If you do a, a mitzvah between a person and a person, 
You're helping a person and you're helping God through the godliness of the person. As we can discern from this passage, to be religious is to emulate the compassionate ways of God. Thus, this is the most fundamental principle that underlies all of Torah study and that shows us that to engage in, in social justice activities is to heed the divine call. It says here in the Babylonian Talmud, in Sukkah, Rav Elazar quoted, he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Here quoting the book of Micah, only to do justice, to do goodness, and to walk modestly with your God. What does this verse imply? To do justice means to act in accordance with the principles of justice. To love goodness means to let your actions be guided by principles of loving kindness. To walk modestly with your God means to assist needy families at their funerals and weddings by giving humbly in private. Okay, friends, to move to a conclusion here, the quest for a more just world is not relegated merely to interpersonal ethics and happenstance encounters. Rather, a life-affirming, dignity-affirming theology should be applied to all of the ways and avenues in which we relate to society, government, the workplace, community. While Jews have a unique and holy mission in the world, we dare not look upon Gentiles or other faith groups in, in our pursuit of universal justice. Sorry, look down upon. Indeed, we must come out of our isolation, our false sense of being at the center, and emerge in a faith-rooted manner that is transformative for us, as well as for populations who experience oppression and injustice. To be sure, there are texts from Jewish tradition that imply that we have a higher obligation to Jews than Gentiles. Look, for example, at, at the Baba Matthias 71a. Yet there are also texts that instruct that we are equally obligated to all in their time of need. Consider Babylonian Talmud, Gittin 61a. Nachmanides teaches that we are commanded to save the life of a non-Jew and to save them from harm. That if they were drowning in a river or a stone fell upon them, that we must use all of our strength and be burdened to, with saving them. And if they were sick, to engage to heal them. As the Mishnaic sage, Hillel Hazakin, Hillel the elder says, we must live the truth of the tension inherent in my need to advocate for myself and my responsibility to recognize that I cannot work only for my own interests. And in contemporary times, Rabbi Yitz Greenberg writes, tzedakah means taking responsibility for life. One shares one's own possessions in order to take responsibility for the needs of others because life is indivisible. My life cannot be whole while others' lives are not. To conclude, we must take care of our Jewish family. Who else will do it? But we must also remember that as Jews, we are not only a tribal family, but a global community as well. We are called to be an Am Kadosh, a holy nation on so many levels, to bring repair to the self, to the home, to the community, to, to humanity and the world. On a personal note, before we open up conversation, I, one of the ways I experienced this at rallies, when I'm at a Jewish rally for Jewish welfare of one form or another, there's a part that feels so rooted as a Jew, it feels, I feel so rooted in the community, in the discourse, in, in the shared values, in the shared fate and destiny. And I feel a little bit of the narrowness. Where are our allies? And where is the diversity? And where is the universalism involved here? And when I'm at an interfaith gathering, interfaith rally, I feel rooted in the universal, the shared humanity, the power of the collective, all of us together. And I feel the alienation of different ways of praying and talking about religion or spirituality, diverse claims on what the priorities are, and um, a sense of, of uh, Jewish insecurity of whether we have allies and have, have, a, have a seat at the table. And I think that's only one way among many ways of thinking about our role as Americans, our roles as Jews. So friends, um, big topic, big, big topic, one of the pressing ones we're facing today, and I would love to hear some questions and thoughts from y'all. Um, if I could just run in, a huge topic, you're right, and, and thank you for what you do both universally and also for Jewish learning. Um, I've, I've always found like, wow, it's so much easier, it's so much more comfortable to be 
just seclude yourself in the Jewish environment and, you know, not, even there there's conflict, but it's, you know, when we look now at really things like global warming, you know, climate change, um, peace, even the way others see Israel, it's, it's so important to connect with the other. And uh, I really see that there's like always the golden mean, right? Like we, we really, really have to respond as Jews universally. And um, we also have to protect our own and be among our own. I, I just wanna say two things that my spiritual director keeps telling me, which I keep reminding myself because it's so easy to go tribal. And one is God is not Jewish, you're Jewish. And the other is we're all just walking each other home. And I'm really trying to live by those. Awesome, that's, that's awesome. And what a great reminder that God is not Jewish. I think some people view God as like their religion, right? Um, I, I know Hasidic Jews think, oh, is God wearing a strimal with payas, you know, or something like this. Um, and so the idea that religion is a vehicle for humans towards God, but that God transcends religion um, and transcends identity as, as we construct it. So thank you for that. And thank you for your, your powerful remarks there. And, and to be sure, like, and this is not an organizational promotion, it's just an insight into our world here. For us, we know there's many organizations that do Jewish learning in the world, um, and they stop at learning, and we value that. We know there's many social action organizations, and, and we value that. They don't engage in learning. For us, the learning always had to lead to that action, and the action back to reflection and learning. The two have to be so intertwined. So, um, so thank you for that, Lauren. Let's hear from someone else here. And then, and then we'll come to Rabbi Biller's comment in the, in the chat. I, I think the real challenge, too, is in looking at wider is it's almost like, a, like an onion with a different layer. We have enough problem just between the orthodox, the non-orthodox and the secular Jewish world. And that's a place we probably need to start and then build, almost build out from there. And I think the whole challenge is, is in a sense, loving our enemies, that's too strong a word, but as we deal with, 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 with people who mean us harm and how to respond in a way that's truly godly. That, that's really beautiful that on both points. You know, um, some, um, some, some Jews have the cooties on who they help. Um, some Jews don't want to help um, Gentiles because um, there's almost a cooties involved there. And some Jews don't want to help Jews because there's almost a cooties, oh, am I tribalistic? If I help a Jew, why did I choose a Jew over a Gentile? I've got a cooties over that. And um, how do we break through that? And you're right, Mike, that um, when we help a, a Jew in need, we're still helping a human being. We forget that, like, that 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 um, that helping someone in their own community is also still a human being. It's not like, oh, I'm not a universalist because I've chosen a person in my community, right? If a Christian helps a Christian, if a black person helps a black person, if a woman wants to help a woman, right? Um, it doesn't detract from the from the broader um, the broader commitment, um, as if uh, um, as if there's no particularity of the people. And you're right. If 80 to 90%, depending on what community you're looking at, of Jews are unaffiliated. Um, the, the, high, um, the high majority of Jews are alienated from the community and from one another, um, and there's significant needs in the community. Uh, we should take those seriously. The last time I looked at the studies, I quote this all the time, I'm sure there's evolving studies, over 90% of Orthodox philanthropic money goes to the Orthodox community, not beyond the Orthodox community. Over 90% of non-Orthodox Jewish philanthropic money goes outside of the Jewish community entirely. And so non-Orthodox Jews um, love to support non-Jewish causes and, and much less so Jewish causes, by and large. Orthodox Jews have a, um, have a strong distrust for supporting not only non-Orthodox causes, obviously, call the Homer non-Jewish causes, um, and so this is a real challenge for us to, to think about and work together. I think you're right. There's a lot of work to do there. And your point there about we don't have to love our enemy, um, but we can be loving and compassionate in that as well. And also to remember that 
our enemy is not the same as um, the, the global world outside of us. In pre-modern times, they were equated. The Gentile was the enemy because the Gentile tried to kill us everywhere we went. And so everywhere we talked about, there's us and them. There's the Gentiles who want to kill us, and then there's Jews. And today, thankfully, um, um, Jews, are, there's a whole relationship. There are enemies. There are allies. There are, I mean, I mean, Jews are so accepted that we've had the intermarriage situation, that Jews are so accepted that, that Jews predominantly, you know, once you leave Orthodoxy, I think it's over 70%. I think in Reform, I think I recently saw 83% or something. Uh, rates of intermarriage that so except that we that we're, we're going to marry I mean that, like the differences completely fall away so okay so thank you for that Mike let's hear from someone else here oh no I'm going to go to Rabbi Biller's question there he writes what is your response to Jews who say if helping all people is totally God's work why do I need any Jewish practice and ritual at all great so um uh this is a great question Rabbi and um and I, I I'd love to hear um Oh, he says his camera's not working, but I, I'd love to hear uh, his thought on this if, if he ends up being able to speak. Um, but, oh, is there a message there? Uh, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, great. Um, but I, I think the first thing I would say here is let's separate two theologies out. One is that God does help in this world. That's a pretty dominant Jewish theology. God helps in this world. And the other theology that God doesn't help in this world i.e. God helps through us. Um, we are the ones who do God's work. And of course, there's middle grounds on those two theologies. Um, but embracing the, the assumption of this question, Asker, that, um, that God, it is God's work to help all people. And in such, a, in, in, such a the, in such a theology, why would we engage in ritual at all? Now, there's a few, a few possible answers here. One, again, is the rejection that God does the work. We do the ritual to reinforce in us that it's our work to do. That's one response. The other response is, from the Hasidic approach, we are partners in God in the ritual sense. The more we strengthen God to help other people. And so actually, some in the Hasidic world think that. Tikkun olam, repairing the world, means me doing ritual, me learning Torah, and that will strengthen um, godliness in the world and will repair the world through prayer, through ritual. You see that in the Haredi uh, community quite a bit. Um, and so um, uh, and so that would be kind of their answer. Um, and then, you know, but I've never heard the answer that, oh, it is God's work, and so I need not participate in Jewish practice at all. Um, because uh, even if it's not going to repair the world and God's going to do that work, it is still going to change me at its best. Um, oh, he said his, his wording is misleading. I meant, why isn't helping people enough? Oh, now I see. It's a whole different question. Why do we need Judaism at all? Meaning, if the role, if if, the, if if our main priority really is helping people, helping Gentiles, helping Jews, what do we need Judaism for? Just go help people. Like, what do you need religion for? Um, is an important question. And so, here I think there's a few layers um, of this, and it's such an important question. We get this all the time. People, young people who say, ah, I'm not really, I'm spiritual, not religious, right? I don't need religious community. That's just divisive, right? It's divisive. I'm just going to help all people. Like, I don't need to be a part of that. I was like, no, no, this is going to help you help people more. I say, I'm not convinced. I already volunteer on Sundays. Like, I'm, I'm a giving person. Like, going to prayer services isn't going isn't to make me more giving, but I, you know? And so my first answer is great. If you're already a massively giving person and you don't need any strengthening in that, then amazing, go be a giving person. And if you feel spiritually fulfilled in that, amazing. My second answer is, I'm yet to meet so many people who don't really need fueling and reinforcement and community, who don't need spiritual practice and rigor, who don't need community of support, who don't need spaces of reflection and learning, who just are so fired up intuitively that they're just gonna naturally be giving everywhere they go. Um, you know, I'm sure there are people out there like that I haven't met yet, um, but in my experience, the, 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 the most giving people I know are people who have a prayer practice, who have a meditation practice, or people who have a community, are people who, who are, in a, are, are reading and writing and thinking and in study groups and in conversation groups. Um, and I think Judaism or other models like that can provide something really serious to enhance that. Now, 
Um, sadly, sometimes relig the religious practice becomes the end rather than the beginning. Rather than saying, oh, this fueled me to go do good. It says, I did my good. I showed up at church or synagogue, right? I did my good. I was a part of a, the community. Um, and so that's the hard part. And so now to, go, now to go beyond religion in general to Judaism in particular, my read of Judaism is that every mitzvah is a vehicle towards transformation. It is not merely a, a subservience or obedience. Every ritual, every mitzvah, when done um, with the right kavanah, the right intentionality, is meant as transformation, transforming the self, transforming the family, transforming the community, transforming the Jewish people, transforming society in the world. When we do Judaism, it is, um, it is it, in my view, the most powerful vehicle I know towards the, the multi-layer, the multi-layers of, of, um, of transformation. Now, when I say it's the most powerful vehicle I know, that's not me putting down other religions, God forbid. It's saying that um, for me, it's the most transformative thing I know, and other people in other communities have their own model. You know, I'm gonna go to one prayer service in the Jewish community and be inspired, and others are gonna be inspired by a totally different model. And so, and so long story short, I think it's a crucial question that we need to be able to answer for our kids today. Because I hear this all the time, isn't being a good person enough? What do I need to be a spiritual person or a religious person? Just being a good person, isn't that enough? And to be sure, in, in many ways, yep, it's enough. If you're just a mensch, amazing. And yet, I believe we can do more than be a mensch. I mean, I, I, I would, if, we, if we wanna set a higher bar, I think we can do more. I think we can build communities. I think we can go deeper intellectually and spiritually. And I think that can enhance the way we consider ourselves good people. I, I would take it one step a little yeah, more too. It's not only the sense of the world that we live in, but how do we make sure that the best world possible for our grandkids to live in and our future generations? And then that's another perspective in this question that, that we need to understand as well. Amazing, thank you. Thank you. Great. Let's hear from someone else here. I had a quick question. Um, there's that um, that reference in um, Isaiah about being a light unto the nations. Um, do you do you take that to be a uh, globalist expression or sentiment? <laughs> it's funny. Globalist. Um, you know, doesn't globalist have anti-Semitic um, references today? Like people uh, call Soros a globalist. Yeah, you're right. You're I, right. I, I might be wrong, but I think global. I'm not critiquing. I'm just kind of laughing at the at, because I think what globalist means in anti-Semitic terms is that Jews are taking over the world. You know, Jews. Oh, they're behind Wall Street, and Jews are behind Hollywood, and and Jews are are, are disproportionately wealthy, and Soros is is a, a globalist. I tell me if I'm wrong because I haven't read about this recently. Um, but <laughs> no, so the globalist right. word is a, is a funny word. Um, but, um, but yeah, so yeah, the Isaiah quote of Or Lagoyim, to be a light unto the nations, is a very powerful idea. And, um, um, uh, and I most certainly think so. Isaiah is a very universalistic book. Um, and some of the prophets are very particularistic. You look at Jeremiah and the like. But Isaiah, um, I mean, the Isaiah wall next to the UN you look at the way um, different faiths quote Isaiah, it's really, it's really powerful. And this note of a light, light into the nations could be read, interpreted as, um, um, as a form of kind of Jewish supremacy, that the world is dark and we have all the light, um, or it can be not, you know, the opposite, not at all like that. Um, but the way the ultra-Orthodox community views Orlegoyim is passive. Jews should be good Jews among Jews, and the world will notice. The world will notice how Jews take care of Jews. The world will notice how Jews study Talmud all day. The world will notice like how righteous we are, and that will be our light. The way, for example, a secular Jewish humanitarian would take it is, no, no, I'm going to fly to Haiti when there's an earthquake, and they will see me there. Mm -hmm. I, I am going to join an interfaith rally, mm -hmm. and they will... Um, see us there. I am going to be an activist to show our light, right? 
And of course, there's a lot of middle grounds between these approaches uh, of whether it's an active idea or passive idea, whether Jews should be good Jews and the world will notice, or whether the Jews should go out there. The other thing we're saying there is just because Jews have a light to share in the world doesn't mean other groups don't have a light to share. Yeah. And so I have no discomfort with the idea of us saying we are a light to the nations because we should also observe the light from other, other nations. It's the same idea with, I'm very comfortable with the idea of Jewish chosenness. Jews are chosen to a mission, okay? Other people are chosen to another mission, right? We don't try to convert other people to Judaism and try to say, this is the truth for the world, come be a Jew, because we have the chosen mission. We say, no, we're chosen to a mission. And we believe others are called to, I think there's something very sad if somebody wakes up and doesn't feel called. They don't feel called to a, um, you know, to a mission, to a mission, um, to a mandate. They don't feel chosen towards life. I think the fact that we're alive, we've won the lottery. The fact that we are alive, we've clearly been called to do something in this world. And I, I have friends and colleagues who believe it's all random. It's all happenstance. I just kind of ended up here, eat, drink, and be merry because there's no ultimate meaning. And we're going to get to that, I think, in our next session or session 15 on this question of the, the purpose of life, the debate of the purpose of life. Um, but yes, the, the, that quote from Isaiah is very powerful and is one of the early roots of universalism. Thank you. Okay, someone wrote to me privately. Uh, because they wrote to me privately, I'm not gonna quote them. Um, I don't know if they want to be quoted or not, but but because it's private. So, but they say um, there seems to be overwhelming documentation of supporting universalism and supporting the tribalism and some type of embracement of both. Universalism starting outwards, moving inwards, and tribalism starting inwards, moving outwards. The questions I pose are number one. Where is the middle ground of universalism and tribalism? Or number two, at what point does tribalism become universalism and vice versa? Does universalism become tribalism? Another related question, in what fields, areas does the embracement of both seem to be accepted? Majority, mostly, and in what fields or areas seem to be the embracements of both seem to be rejected? Religion can be an example. Okay, wow, that's a lot. Um, so, um, okay, let me take a, a quick stab at this and then we'll bring another voice into the room as well. So what a great question, a set of questions. So to start with the last one, the idea of where are, um, are both rejected, I think that, um, I, I think if we look at um, Jewish partisanship, Jewish progressives are very uncomfortable by and large with Jewish uniqueness. Jewish conservatives are by and large, um, in many ways, very uncomfortable with universalism. Jewish con conservatives are operating a little bit by a scarcity model. Um, we gotta fight for the Jews and the Jews only, um, and maybe align with um, you know, people also on the conservative end who align um, with the values that where that lands us. Um, and Jewish progressives who um, reject the Jewish uniqueness because it might sound like racism or supremacy. Or if I if I also value Judaism as, as Jewish uniqueness, then I'm not I'm not fully a, a humanitarian in some sense. I think um, um, I think over there are kind of embarrassed by that uniqueness. Um, in many senses, they wouldn't want to wear a kippah or a talit, or they wouldn't want to identify as a Jew at the rally. I'm just a part of everyone. Um, and that's not a critique of my of my progressives or or our conservatives. Um, that that in these camps there is a there is a sense of calling. I feel called in the conservative camp towards these truths and towards the trauma of my people, right? And I feel called in the progressive camp to channel the traumas of my people towards something collective and and to really silence or bracket my own uh, identity as I as as I immerse. And I think in those camps, there are exceptions. I know people in the progressive camp who really bring in their Jewish identity. I know people in the conservative camp who really do care beyond their own walls. So obviously those are overgeneralizations. Um, but I think that that is, the, that that is by and large true. And to be sure, 
partisanship is equated with Jewish denomination today. If you're a non-Orthodox Jew in America, it's highly likely you vote Democrat. If you're an Orthodox Jew in America, it's highly likely you vote Republican. It's it, it, it's relatively predictable, and so um, partisanship and denomination are pretty equated in this regard. And thus, also the challenges of balancing those two commitments as well. Um, and as yesterday, we had a class with uh, Rabbi Hera Person of the head of the CCAR of the Reform Movement. Very lovely uh, class. And the reform movement in many ways is uncomfortable with liturgy that might um, be particular to Jews. Oh, say shalom, bim ramabuya, say shalom, aleinu, ve'alko Yisrael. We're praying for Israel. We pray for well, Israel, I mean Jewish people. We're praying for the Jewish people throughout our liturgy. Of course, the liturgy involves all humanity. But sometimes we're praying for Jews, and some Jews are uncomfortable with the idea of praying for Jews. Um, and we see that happening in the Reform Movement. And in the Orthodox Movement, you're not going to have a, a prayer for Gentiles in, in Orthodox synagogues. You, the closest you'll get to that is a prayer for the, for the nation, um, a prayer for Israel, a prayer for America. Um, yeah, but um, you're not going to get like, oh, let's pray for the victims of, the, of this earthquake in, 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 um, you know, in, in, in some other country, wherever the case is. So, so anyways, um, so much more to say here. Um, uh, let me just say one thing about your first part of your question, then we'll open it up again. Um, the middle ground. So where is the middle ground? Good. So now that we said there are those who only want to be universalists and we respect them, those who only want to be tribalists and we respect them, but the true dialectical tension between the two, as we see in many of these debates, is what I believe is most authentic to Jewish tradition. And according to the poll we did early on, it seems most of us here believe that, that yes, Judaism may be mostly tribalist and universalist, or may be mostly universalistic and tribalist. Where is the middle ground? Okay, as, um, as, as you asked earlier, and as, as um, Eddie also just put in the chat as well over here. And here, friends, I think um, is where I think there's three spaces. I think there's spaces just for Jews. Right? Okay, you're welcome to join, but we are, are learning in a Beit Midrash. We are targeting Jews to learn in our study house. We are having Yom Kippur prayers. We are targeting Jews to come pray on Yom Kippur. If a Gentile shows up in the Beit Midrash, you're welcome. If a Gentile shows up in Yom Kippur, you're welcome. You're not the target audience, but you're welcome. That's one space. Another space is the purely universalist. We're not targeting Jews. We're doing a rally on human rights. Right? We are doing an interfaith conversation about, about the city of Phoenix, about the state of America. It has nothing to do with, um, with, uh, with only targeting one particular identity. Okay, so those we already talked about, right? Just Jews and, every, and everybody. The, the third space is the space where we participate um, completely openly and welcoming of awful diversity and yet we specifically invite other people's particular particularism, and we specifically bring in our own particularism, right? In a way that doesn't force it down anyone's throats. People are made comfortable, but we really do bring it in. Um, you know, I was, uh, and it has to be done in a real way. I was at an interfaith breakfast just recently, and they promised a kosher meal. I said, okay, I really don't need a kosher meal, but if they're gonna do it, right? And then it was really a lie. It was really a lie. I went to the person, they announced it all. They were very proud. We have a halal meal and a kosher meal, and we've got meals for, for everyone, and we got this and that. Amazing. So I go, okay, wonderful. If you've done that, great, I'll take the kosher meal. She said, great, here's the kosher meal. I said, great, and uh, you know, where's the kosher meal from? She said, from, a, from the kosher place. I said, oh, what's the kosher place? She said, oh, from the kosher caterer. I said, what's the kosher caterer? She said, oh, all sisters. I said, all sisters. I know all the kosher caterers. That's not, all sisters is not one of the kosher caterers. She says, uh, and she realized that I was onto it. She says, uh, yeah, yeah, I cooked it. And I said, you cooked it. And she says, yeah, I, I, my, my kitchen, I like to call all sisters. I said, so this Gentile woman, who I, I guess I give the benefit of the doubt, had no idea what she was talking about, or was simply pretending her kitchen was somehow magically a kosher kitchen. I said, what just happened here, this violation of trust? So if we're going to be serious about it in that middle space, we're going to have to have conversations and, and have allyship and figure out how um, how different groups in, in very different ways 
are going to uh, bring their particularity into that space. Um, and, um, and this, friends, is I think the future of our activism as well, that the activism should bring particularism, right? Um, I don't understand the calls that, that are simply only about equality. Equality is only a good value when balanced with um, other values like uniqueness, equality. Everyone should be the same and have the same, right? Equality and uniqueness, right? Um, and difference. And so um, this is an important role that Jews can play in such gatherings, encouraging uniqueness, creating space for difference amidst the, the commonality. And that means it's alienating. It means it's alienating that when someone prays at a rally and it's not your faith, oh, you might be a little squeamish if you're not used to that. If someone is articulating the cause in their own, right, they're using the book of Luke, you're using the book of Isaiah, they're quoting the Quran, this one says they're, they're a secular atheist and they're coming from a humanism, it might be alienating, but it, we can hold that space together. So, oh my goodness, so much more to say on that. Let's take one more question or thought. Okay, so I'll close with this thought. I've shared it before, but I think it's really powerful with Rosh Hashanah coming up, that Cynthia, Cynthia Ozick famously taught that you can't blow the shofar from the wide end of the shofar. You have to blow it from the narrow end. If you try to blow the shofar from the wide end, you can't make a sound. If you blow from the narrow end, you can make a sound, which is to say our universalism, the broad, the wide end, emerges from the narrow end. That when we lead from who we are, I am a um, uh, woman of Indian descent who emerged from a Sikh family who are in, you know, identifies as Christian and I, and I lead from there, I can contribute more universally. When I am a white man who emerged from an interfaith home who identifies as a Jew and I lead from there. I am a DACA recipient born in Mexico and identifying as a Jew of color and I lead from there. I am, I am, so, and so I am a Muslim lesbian and I lead from there. Yes, well, not to be embarrassed by our uniqueness, to, to, to bring our uniqueness into the space and to see how much greater we all become when we, when we offer that contribution in a way that doesn't try to convert or change others in ways that honors difference, but also builds bridges in, 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 at the same time. Friends, thank you so much for joining. We will see you at 10 o'clock next Tuesday for our next debate. Thank you so much for joining and have a wonderful day.